Equipped performance professionals, young professionals in the sports performance field, sharing their stories and advice. Stay tuned to find out how their journey has equipped them to succeed, as well as the tips and advice they would give for the new professionals looking to get into the field. Welcome to Equip Performance Professionals. This is Ashley Muschiati, your host. I'm joined today by Peter Ken. Peter is a certified strength and conditioning coach and current collegiate athlete at Iowa State. Peter, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So let's get this started. What made you decide to be a strength coach? When did you realize that this is where you want to go? Uh, my journey was probably a little bit sooner than most people's, given my background. For those of you listening who don't know, my dad is Joseph Ken, uh, formerly last nine years as strength and conditioning coach for the Panthers, worked in the collegiate setting before that as well as the private sector. So 30 years of experience under him. That's how I grew up my whole life. Uh, around 17, 18, when I really started pushing things in the weight room to get better at track and field as well as other uh, sports I was into, I started to fall in love with it and beyond just the training aspect, the science behind it, the mechanical stuff, physics, all that. And it just made sense from that point on. I fell in love with it. And so from about 18 years old is uh, when I knew that's what I wanted to do. That's why I went to Appalachian State, one of the best programs in the country for exercise science. So it was a great uh, opportunity that was right in my backyard. And that's kind of how it all happened. Perfect. Yeah. I always like to say it's always a great opportunity to learn when Dr. Triplett is your professor. <laughs> Considerably one of my biggest mentors and also I like to consider her a friend even if she wouldn't say it. I love seeing her at conferences. It's always a good time. <laughs> Best for sure. So what has been your journey? You, said, you mentioned App State, but what has been your journey to where you are now? Sure. So um, pretty much I was not a great athlete out of high school. I was okay. Uh, I had no offers anywhere. Appalachian State gave me the opportunity to walk on when April Smith was there. She left two weeks into my tenure there. And then after that, I went through two different head coaches and two other throw coaches, which I'm thankful for all my opportunities there. And it was an exciting time. It taught me a lot. But um, pretty much just studied my undergrad, finished my master's in five years, did an accelerated program, and then did a little bit over this past summer. I was fortunate enough to have a plethora of different avenues to work in, whether it was Wake Forest, football, um, strength and conditioning staff as an intern. I was able to intern at the Carolina Panthers and then uh, a couple other places, including performance course out in Dallas, Texas, where I worked for two summers, not this past one due to COVID reasons, but two previously before that had the opportunity to work with K through 12. Uh, it was an amazing experience and they got me on the floor and got me coaching and then COVID unfortunately limited our track season for this spring, but it also gave me a blessing of giving me an extra year of eligibility, which allowed me to transfer because I had no other recourse academically through Appalachian State. And so luckily Coach Brooks here at Iowa State had some interest in me and that's where I decided to go after quite a long transfer period, but I'm happy to be here. It's the right place and getting to train with some really good uh, throwers. So that's kind of how I got here. Perfect. That's exciting. I'm excited to see how you guys do. So for those listening, Peter and I were throwers together at Appalachian State. So we've been throwing together for a good four years, and it's exciting to see how hard Peter's worked since when he was a little freshman coming in to finishing his career at Iowa State. So be on the lookout for him this year. Thank you. So working with all those different – you got a lot of experience working with a whole bunch of different age groups of athletes. What has having that experience done – to prepare you for wherever your next step is? 
You know, I think it's all about the communicational aspects. And there's obviously a difference between being an intern whose probably primary job is cleaning things up or loading weights onto the bar for whether it's an all pro or any other practice squad guy in the NFL. Those guys are elite. They know a lot of what's going on. And as an intern in that situation, you don't have a whole lot of dialect necessarily on the internals of the program and what's going on. Um, but being a fly on a wall in that scenario, you learn how to communicate with professionals at a different level than you communicate with college kids. And even though college is almost turning into a professional type setting now, especially with talks of player likeness, getting their own, um, I guess, agreements and stuff like that, it's going to change the game a lot. But there comes a time when you have to stop talking to your athletes as children, and then they eventually develop into young men and women and knowing that opportunity and when to flip the switch and being able to step outside of maybe a comfort zone that you were previously familiar with gives you a lot of opportunity to open up and expand on topics, especially developing them outside of athletic performance and creating better people, which is what I think we're all about here as educators as well as shape conditioning coaches. But, um, Absolutely. you know, working with younger kids is amazing because they don't really know what's happening. You know, it's fun. You get to see where your strengths and weaknesses are. I would encourage everyone to, at some point in their career, try and work with younger people because often I think it's taken for granted how much high-level athletes, especially at any university, D3 through D1, know what's going on. Um, and the cues are a lot easier to teach when someone knows how to control their body. But when you're working with young kids who have never done a movement, especially in a setting with 200, 300 kids like I was at a performance course in Allen, Texas, it can be intimidating for a lot of those kids and you have to take a much more serious role in making sure that they feel comfortable. It's not all about the work in that scenario because for a lot of these kids, you know, they're just here because it's something that's a summer fun. And that's one of the big things that they drive home for us, especially with the younger kids is when we're working on fundamentals, it has to be fun while we're trying to get the work in. And obviously the parents are paying for a service and you want to make sure you're developing them as an athlete. You got to make sure they enjoy it because just based off athletic performance, we're still trying to develop healthy individuals um, as a whole. So learning how to communicate with different people is obviously one of the biggest factors that has taught me. And I'm very blessed to have been able to work with, like I said, K through all pro, um, regardless of what that fully entailed. But um, yeah, it was, it's great experience to just figure it out on your own because not everyone's going to be there to help you all the time. So. Exactly. And I think you touched on something with the younger kids fun that a lot of people forget when it gets to the professionals too. Like it is their job, but the athletes have to enjoy being in the weight room and being in your presence. I think another thing to kind of touch on with that point is you can't ever have a bad day as a strength coach, uh, especially personality wise, especially and in the younger kids section, they're going to notice more than anyone else. You may be able to get away with having a not so great day in a collegiate or professional settings because they understand from a maturity level that sometimes that's the way it is. But when you got young kids who are coming in, paying for a service, you have to bring the energy and really create the environment in the room so that they can feed off of it and then eventually develop their own culture if you have the opportunity to work with them long enough. But I, we are in the unfortunate position where we get the best of both worlds where we know everyone in the room and they know us. But at the same time, that means you don't get the misstep. And it's a a great opportunity for people to develop their language skills and communication skills as, as well as learning how to live in the moment and present and uh, trying to be there for everyone whenever they need it. Exactly. The way you portray yourself and the way you communicate do give off vibes to your athlete and they can read that and they'll react to that. Absolutely. That's really good. So 
going into Texas every summer, jumping into it with a whole new group of athletes sometimes, how has that built your confidence in yourself while coaching? So, you know, people used to ask me all the time, how do you know you're a good coach? My answer is always, I just know. And a little bit was me being maybe a little too cocky or confident, but also in the same scenario, growing up in that environment your whole life, if I didn't pick anything up over the last 23 years of watching my dad, what would that say about me as a coach, as well as a professional, as someone who's trying to uh, potentially lead in this field and be a peer, as well as an educator for everyone who wants it? So for me, it was not so much as a developing of confidence because I knew I didn't have a choice. I think a lot of people in a scenario where they're going in first time, they're going to see it a little differently. For me, I looked at it as, as almost like a family name that I couldn't let down. So it was less about developing the confidence and releasing the pressure for myself to become my own coach and develop my own skill set. But at the end of the day, I went in full-heartedly knowing that when it came time to hit the floor, I was flipping the switch. And even if I didn't know what was going on, I was going to fake it till I made it. And that's a really important part of coaching in general, because sometimes you don't have the answer, but if you can do something confidently enough and express it with enough conviction, your athletes are potentially going to buy in as well as get better. And I think a lot of times it's complicated, especially with younger kids you know, anyone who's starting out a resistance training or whatever type of protocol it is, they're going to get better as long as you're not doing stupid stuff to get them hurt. It's just the natural way of the science behind how muscle adaptations occur. If they're doing something that they weren't doing before, they're going to adapt either negatively or positively. But if you're not being stupid, it's not that hard to make a young kid a better athlete. Obviously, those adaptations get limited the more you get in to professional athletes because they're at the peak of their, um, I guess you would say, threshold. But you know, for me, the confidence part, like I said, was something that I didn't have a choice on having. But if I had to say anything to young coaches coming in the field, it would definitely be sometimes you just have to fake it. And not every time you're going to be able to look around and see what else is doing. So you have to have conviction with what you're doing and passion. And if you have passion, then I don't think the confidence is something to worry about. Because if that's if this is truly what you want to do, then it shouldn't matter because everyone's their first day is going to be different than anyone else's. But at the same time, you'll develop your footing no matter what setting you're in. But sometimes the first days can be a little rocky. That's why, you know, sometimes you just got to go in like you've been in the game for 10 years. And if you can do that and you can pull it off, then I think you'll be in a good spot. That's some great advice. I really like that. Go in like you've been there, you know what you're doing. So a lot of strength coaches or a lot of sports performance professionals come from being a college athlete and not being able to spend that whole semester interning. How have you been able to make the most out of those short periods of time? Sure. As a student athlete, you know, we're pretty much training all year. Even if you're off season, there's really never an off season. I call it the preseason, even though there may be a rejuvenating period at the very end of a season when you're working back into your preseason phase. I consider all that the preseason because it's this never-ending cycle, especially if you're looking at it from an annual breakdown. For me, I looked at the opportunities that were closest to home and or places that I knew I would be able to get the auxiliary work I needed to continue as a student athlete. Uh, when I worked at the Carolina Panthers, I was fortunate enough, obviously, that my father was a head strength conditioning coach there while I was an intern, and I was able to live with him in Charlotte. We would go in and train either early in the mornings or we'd go to an off-facility site to train. 
throwing wasn't always as high as it could be in those situations. But the way I would plan it out was I would plan that out as my quote unquote rejuvenation period, where I would take off of throwing unless I wanted to do drill work or some other auxiliary component component. And I would probably be in a type of block zero reset my training so that I didn't have to necessarily worry about getting massive compound lifts in and I could work as well as get the training I needed. So I plan my annual period around those types of um, environments. Same thing occurred at Wake Forest with that being 15 minutes away from my home. I was able to throw while working just because of the schedule I had broken down um, with the connections allowed me to do that. I understand that sometimes your work schedule doesn't allow you to do what you want to do. And that's a sacrifice that you have to decide if you're willing to make. And if that means that you sacrifice training in order to get into the game sooner, then that's something you got to do. Whereas someone who may say, you know what, this is what I'm all in on right now, training wise, I'm going to wait to do these unpaid internships or whatever it is to get in the game after that's fine too. You're just going to start two or three years behind everyone else. So I was lucky enough to find a balance, especially when I started going out to Dallas where my schedule was pretty tight the whole day. I would wake up at four to four 30 every morning get to the facility by 5 or 5.30, fill up water. I would coach till 1 or 2. As soon as 2 hit, I would get a meal. I would go throw, lift, and then I would have to be back for, by 6 or 7 o'clock. I can't remember for a night session. And then I was trying to go to bed as quickly as possible because I had to rebound at 4 o'clock the next day. Yep. So I was willing to sacrifice um, friendships at that point in my life or time with people that maybe needed it. And that's especially traveling, um, you know, halfway across the country to coach for someone who I had really never met my first time going there. Gino Pierce, he's an amazing person, great friend and uh, colleague. And if anyone out there ever gets the chance, whether you're in the Dallas area or you can go out for a summer, I would definitely say you should do it because you're going to get more hands-on experience and one day of coaching there than you are in most internship programs across the country just because you are an actual coach. You're not someone who's there to, you know, wipe the floors or wipe down the equipment while being a fly on the wall. Your job is truly to be a performance professional with those young kids uh, across multiple different high schools. So, you know, I've obviously been very fortunate in what I've done, but I also think I was willing to make necessary sacrifices personally and mentally to do what I wanted to accomplish. And there's consequences to everything, whether it's positive or negative. There's a lot of things that I look back on now after spending so much time doing some of those things where, you know, I probably could have handled myself better in situations or I could have had a better outlook, could have figured out timing different ways to give people who are important in my life more time. But you know, those are all things where you live and you learn. And right now I'm in a really good spot where I'm able to do all those things. That's perfect. It's good to hear from someone else that there is a balance. Sometimes it can be hard. I remember when I was at like Clemson and Chapel Hill, there were nights at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night that I was throwing. So it can be done. I think a lot of young coaches are afraid of that time commitment. Yeah. Um, and then straight to just pushing it off to the end. And like you said, you have to know whether or not you want to take on all that. And if you have the capability, the personal capability of doing that or pushing it off, but knowing that you're going to have to get into the game a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, there's a balance, everything. You just have to decide what the right journey is for you. And even if you find out later that it may not have been what you wanted it to be, there's never, it's never too late to change. Absolutely. Um, in our field, there is a lot of 
unpaid opportunities and there's two years of required experience and you're like, how am I supposed to get two years of required experience if I can't even get paid and I got to work a full-time job on the side? So that's why I think if this is a profession that you kind of decided you want to go into while you're in school is the best time to do it because obviously if you don't have a job, if you have a job, that's something else right now I'm working too. So I understand, but you got to figure out ways to get it done. And hopefully the field is kind of changing for the better. Um, it, it just depends on where you're at and the opportunities that unfold before you. But hopefully if you're working with a coach who understands and gets it, you'll be able to balance it out. But like I said, anytime something new comes into your life, you have to get rid of something else because there's only so much time in the day. So it, it's a balancing act and uh, you guys will figure it out. <laughs> so you've talked a little bit about your mentors. Uh, so talk about some of your mentors and like what they've taught you and what they have given you, equipped you to be successful. I would say first and foremost, Chino Pierce at a performance course from a general person standpoint, a businessman, as well as a coach, he's been the main influence on my life. Um, in my coaching, I would say perspective, just because he took me in straight off the bat, gave me a floor and a presence told me what I needed to do as well as letting me figure it out on my own, which he does a really great balance of doing and giving you the tools that you need to succeed while also seeing if you have what it takes. And he's not afraid to call you out, but he doesn't do it in a manner that's disrespectful or disencouraging, which I think was also a big part of why I was so successful down there, especially working with him. But from a business standpoint, he runs a really tight ship. The people he deals with, he handles the right way. And vice versa, the people that aren't doing a great job, he also handles the right way. There's no ill will in his life uh, in terms of how he treats people. If you need to be fired, then sometimes you need to be fired. But he's never going to hate you for it or talk bad about you for the purpose. He's just going to let you know that it's not the appropriate situation and that, you know, he may have to move on. So, you know, from a coaching aspect of helping me develop on my floor cues as well as certain programming standpoints, he did a really great job for me. Obviously, my dad is a huge one, uh, creating the tier system. That's probably what is most ingrained in my head, obviously, being around it for as long as I have. But, <laughs> that was your first book, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I tell everyone, thanks for paying for my college whenever I <laughs> um, But yeah, no, he obviously, from a programming point of view, as well as a professional aspect, and the way my dad is able to handle certain communications, hiring process, where to look for jobs, when to look for jobs, the proper etiquette on when to reach out for a job. If someone doesn't have a job, don't ask them for one. Um, it's important to understand the etiquette and, you know, evaluating the professional outlets that are out there and how to conduct yourself as a professional on those social media platforms. My dad's at almost 20,000 followers on Instagram. He has a lot of eyes on him. And that's something that I try to pick up, especially from him through professional development is when you're in that situation, you don't get an opportunity to mix it up. You have to know who you are as a person as well as your audience and not put anything out there that's willing to jeopardize you as a professional. So programming, something me and my dad really worked on over the summer, bouncing new ideas off of each other as well as previously before that, um, general professionalism from my father in, like I said, the hiring aspects, how to conduct yourself in a weight room, knowing when to say enough is enough or, you know, training smart, things like that. And just general development of pairing different exercises together. When to use certain power motions versus 
when to use power endurance or whatever it is. So periodization, general professionalism, my dad, and then kind of moving away from the floor aspect, Dr. Triplett, obviously, at Appalachian State gave me a lot of insight into more of the science realm, not necessarily the practical realm. Uh, I was able to develop a lot as a coach, as well as someone who understands the research and the books as well, which I think sometimes we like to pretend that there's this massive divide. And in some ways, there is a big divide between those who are more clinical or research-based and those who are more practical on the floor, because to be honest, some, the research is just late. Research is always going to be behind, even the day it's published. So people who are diehard research fans, I know they're going to hate me saying that, but they know it's true as well. And sometimes the science can be anecdotal, which is also something my dad has said for a long time. Um, I don't necessarily need a machine to tell me how fast someone's going because I can tell that was faster than the last one. You know, sometimes it's obvious. And, and, and other times it's not. And that's why there's a great integrating factor. Dr. Triplett has done a wonderful job of that, as well as expanding my horizons outside of just the collegiate sports world, whether it's through NASA, which she is a big part of in their, I would guess, uh, muscle rehabilitation. And, and also as well as how they train in space on top of that military or tactical training. And then just a plethora of different avenues that you you don't really realize, especially as a young person coming in who may be an athlete, that you, you just see Olympic and football. And there's a whole world outside of there where, you know, there are plenty of jobs and different opportunities from the private sector to government-funded jobs. Like I said, the military as a private contractor, or in some cases even differently. But, I mean, I've had a really good spectrum of people. Um, those are just three to name off the top who – obviously had a, the biggest impact on me and I would consider Gino a businessman at heart, but also a coach at heart as well. I also have to shout out Lamblin as well as Yolanda Berry Hill. Uh, those are two college trained coaches for me who really made an impact. Those are both great coaches and great women in general. So this next part's piggybacking off of that. And this yeah. is something I realized are one of my weaknesses. How do you stay in contact with all these people? So how to stay in contact? You have to be deliberate. And everything you do in the strength conditioning realm, you have to be deliberate and you have to set time outside of your work zone or whatever it is to communicate with the people that are mentors to you, colleagues to you, or people you just think you may need in your back pocket at some point in time. Whether it's someone you met in graduate school, someone who you met one time at a conference or a coach that you worked with for any number of years, months, or weeks, you have to be deliberate in your communication with those people. If someone is about to have a game and you're watching college football, shoot them a message. If you happen to be at a volleyball tournament for your cousin or whatever it is and you remember someone, don't be afraid to reach out at any time. So sometimes you're going to have personal relationships where your text message is going to be a lot less formal and probably more friendly, and that's okay. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a conversation, just a one quick hitter or even an emoji in some cases, depending on your relationship with that person, can mean a lot. And so I would just say you have to be deliberate. You know, it doesn't have to be every day, every week. You know, I would say probably once a month or even if you're really proactive every other week or something like that, depending on the relationship. Like I said, if you've known someone for 20 years, you don't have to talk to them every month. You, you can get away with once or twice a year or however many you deem enough to keep that connection intact. But at the same point, young professionals need to be aware of having too much presence and over trying to communicate with someone because that can get annoying a lot of times when you're busy. If you think you're busy, 
they're probably busy also. So if you're not getting a response, don't keep harping. And at the end of the day, when you're talking about general communication, you have to make sure that you're respecting their time boundaries, especially if it's an outside of work call or text, because when they're with their family, that's their time or whoever they're with, that's their time to spend on their own. When you spend eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours coaching on the floor a day, you know, some people don't know how to turn it off, but it's an important realization for our community to understand when to flip the switch. When you leave that weight room and you go home to whoever you are going home to, you have to be 100% dedicated to them now. And you can't bring the coach back home with you because there has to be a discernible line in the sand of when you are able to be your own self. And so I think it's important for young coaches to remember that, especially moving forward, is you have to find the balance, especially based on your own personal relationships with people, because we can't tell you how much to talk to someone. If you know someone's personality is one that they don't need a lot of attention, then less is more. If someone is you've worked with has probably spoken about or mentioned, oh, I haven't heard from so-and-so, well, then maybe you need to be a little bit more vocal in your attempts to reach out to them. It all comes down to you have to consciously and deliberately thinking, think about your communication as well as your connections and decide what you want to do. If you want to stay in the same spot for 20 years, don't talk to anyone. That's fine. If you potentially want to move around or you want other opportunities, make sure where you're at, you're doing the best job possible and they'll look for you. But besides that, you know, you also have to be deliberate. Absolutely. I think that is amazing. Every bit of what you just said, I've gotten questions before. It's like, well, do I just text them when I have a job opening? Do I just say hi? Like, I don't think a lot of young coaches were used to being on our phones, but then when we go to build our professional network, we're like, how do we separate how we normally communicate informally on our phone to a professional network? So I think what you said there is great all around. Plus talking about how a lot of coaches flip the switch on and off, because I think especially this quarantine has made a lot of coaches realize that there needs to be a family time and a work time. So respecting that as a young coach with your mentors, that was all great. What's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? Oh, that's a tough one. I would say in general, and, and you can apply this to anywhere, it's to make where you're at now the best possible place in that moment it can be. Purely based on the fact it's going to make you happier as a person. Um, I'm not huge on the saying the grass is always greener because sometimes it really is. Um, but you have to be willing to acknowledge when you're in the green grass. And I think that's the problem a lot of the time when too many people are looking outside of what they're currently doing, when what they're currently doing, they aren't giving themselves a hundred percent to, and, and maybe looking at, well, they have something better or this and that. And you know, it's, it's becoming a much more talked about topic, especially within our community that, Stop looking for jobs. Be the best at your job and they'll find you, like I said previously. But it's really true. And living in your own moment and living your own journey is incredibly important for any coach as well as anyone in general because no one else can do that for you. And if you're miserable now, maybe you need to take a step back and think about why you're miserable and are you creating it in your own head. I know a lot of the times that I've been in my worst spots were – probably self-induced and I've been fortunate enough to you know kind of step away and get to a whole new environment where I kind of had to not reinvent myself but find myself again and I realized very quickly that a lot of the hardships I were under were self-induced so really take a step back understand where you are and if it is that bad 
and then what are you going to do to change it? But also you, you have to be in your own present. You can't try and be in your future because then you'll never get there. So I, I would say that's probably, um, that's probably it. That's really good. That is. What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your career, either from education or from coaching? What's a lesson that you're like, okay, from now on, this is what I'm going to remember. Like this experience is something that I will always fall back on. I don't know if I've really had a net, like a, a truly life changing moment or lesson. Um, I've had a lot of little different things. And a, fortunately for me, my personality is typically fairly outgoing and I'm a great, I'm a, not, I don't want to boast. <laughs> um, I understand what terminology to use around certain people and, and how to get my viewpoints across without feeling any heightened emotions. I'm pretty level headed in that respect as well. But um, I would say, you know, learning when to talk and when not to talk. That's great. Sometimes, I mean, we, we talk about all the time now, especially in this profession is listening is an incredibly important skill set that strength coaches don't utilize often because they're so used to talking all day. Mm-hmm. But listening can go beyond just verbal communication. It also has to do with body communication and body awareness of where someone is mentally as well they may be showing all the signs of someone who's happy but sometimes you have to be able to discern between the way that they're talking or the words that they're using to understand that they're not um i guess my biggest lesson would be that talk less listen more in a world where everyone's trying to get their opinion out there you you have to kind of decide what's more important to you are you going to try and understand other people and then give your voice or do you just want everyone to hear what you have to say? Because a lot of times you can learn more from listening than you can ever give someone through talking. And I think also a lot of the time, those who talk the most know the least um, because they're, whether they're in a room trying to prove their worth or whatever it may be, it's often the guys that are kind of just sitting back listening who know more than them. And those are the conversations I would intrigue young people to have is talk less about yourself learn more and listen more to those who have come before you like Boyd Apley or whoever it may be true legends um, who have been around and invented the game. So it's easy to get caught up in a social media world where there's millions of followers on someone who has done some good things, but they're not necessarily the most prolific person, regardless of how many people they're reaching. It may not be what you need to be listening to. So I would encourage people to listen more and talk less. Perfect. People forget that conversation is listening and talking and not just talking. Absolutely. <laughs> so as an athlete that has significantly grown in your sport, mm-hmm. how has your experience as an athlete made you a better coach? Uh, well, I, like I said, I've had a long career year six in collegiate athletics so obviously that gives me two years the most uh, maybe one if you were injured or you redshirted but within that career I've had a plethora of coaching changes Uh, this would technically be my fourth row coach and my third head coach and you have to take every experience whether it's positive or negative and use it to your advantage and like I said some of the best lessons you can learn are from negative experiences and whatever it may be, however you'd want to deem it. Personally, as a athlete who's been around a multitude of different coaches and different coaching personalities and program settings and different cultures, 
you start to figure out when someone is trying to BS you or not. And for me, I know I'll never be the kind of coach who tries to feed you something that I don't know or don't believe. I'm perfectly okay with taking a question that I don't have the answer to and saying, I don't know, but I will find out because this is a relationship built directly on trust. And if you don't believe in what I'm doing or I don't believe in what you're doing, then the program is probably not going to work and the culture will be dysfunctional. So as a student athlete, the way I've been able to develop myself is understanding through all positive and negative experiences that I've gone through, what is the right way to handle people, the right way to handle business in a professional setting as well as with students. Because I think a lot of times, especially with the older generation, and that, not that there's anything wrong with it, but they expect respect in a world where currently our generation doesn't give immediate respect. And it's just the way the world has changed. And some people are, may think it's good and some people may think it's bad. But at the end of the day, kids in our generation that are growing up, and especially those younger than us, were not taught the same values of respect your elders to the fullest extent as older generations. We're much more of a respect is earned. And I think that that's, in my opinion, I think it has the opportunity to be really great because then it's not just giving someone respect based off of their authoritative title. It's an actual relationship where we have to develop trust and respect within each other. And that's something that I'm always going to take forward is that I'm never going to demand respect from anyone, but I'm sure as hell going to try and earn it from everyone because I've been in that situation before. And I know how frustrating it can be when someone's trying to demand something of you that you just physically don't feel, uh, especially when they have done it based on no merit or something like that. So being a student athlete, you know, it's tough in some ways, but also it teaches you a lot of really great life lessons. And that would definitely be one of them is to continually push the idea that in my world, trust is earned, respect is earned, and I'm going to have to earn it from you just as much as you are from me, regardless of how old you are. That's great. So also as an athlete, you've had the experience of working with a bunch of interns, like being coached by a bunch of interns. What is something throughout the interns you've worked with as an athlete, what's something that stood out as like something you really liked or that made those interns memorable? A lot of the times it was the personalities. Um, you worked with a lot, I worked with a lot of interns who weren't necessarily incredibly vocal and those are names I couldn't tell you no matter how hard I thought of. And whether or not they knew what they were talking about, um, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. One, because they weren't writing the program, most likely, and they weren't the lead coach in the room. They weren't vocal enough or didn't voice a certain way of doing things that was conducive to me developing at all. Those who come in and may not know a single thing, but are there to give you energy as well as support you in, through your training or whatever it is, make a much longer lasting impact on your vision of them than anyone who may know everything there is about periodization, the proper technique or whatever it is. If you don't talk, it doesn't matter. If you don't coach, it doesn't matter. I would much rather have someone in my room who I can educate that has a good personality than someone who I can't educate any further because I'm not going to be able to change their personality. And even if you are an introverted person, you have to be able, like I said earlier, to fake it. You have to. There's no other way for you to succeed in this world other than maybe a very few select places as a personal trainer or something like that. 
if you want to work in the collegiate or professional sports setting, you are going to have to have some type of personality. And the interns that had it naturally or faked it always had a much longer lasting impact on me as a student athlete than those who thought they knew everything. That's great. Definitely. I remember there were a couple of that where it was like, okay, just the guy standing in the corner, you never even knew their name. Exactly. They'd be there for a month and you'd never know their name. Mm-hmm. Especially day one, you walk in and yes, you may not be as vocal, but if the athletes leave saying, who was that? Like asking the head coach, who was that? Did you really do a good job of introducing yourself? It all starts at the introduction. Absolutely. You mentioned some amazing things today that I hope a lot of coaches take at all levels. So I'm going to wrap up with just some fun questions that I like. Um, so what's your favorite sport to watch and to play? I think I know what it is to play, but. Um, my favorite sport to watch is probably football, just because that's what I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of great memories from when I was a kid playing in certain divisions. Um, the funnest sport that I've ever played is probably soccer because uh, I was a four-year player in high school. wasn't very good, but I enjoyed every moment on the field because there's never a dull moment. And it actually transferred a lot in terms of my kinesthetic awareness in my lower body to throwing. So I actually really enjoyed playing soccer. Um, that was easily the funnest one for me. Mm-hmm. I would have guessed that too, just because while throwing's fun, it gets boring. <laughs> you can only have so yeah, much I mean, fun throwing I, things for distance. Unless you got a couple targets out there. <laughs> I love throwing. But like you said, sometimes it's not always fun. It's always going to be the biggest passion I have. Obviously, it's driven me this far, and it's a true love of mine. But sometimes throwing is a grind, much like lifting is. And any, anyone who's in this profession understands that sometimes you don't want to go, but you go because you love it, and you go because you're motivated. And that's how throwing can be a lot of the times. Exactly. So if you could choose any movie title for the story of your life, what would it be and who would play you? Uh, it would be My Way. The main sound would be Frank Sinatra, My Way, and Chris Hemsworth, obvious. <laughs> if you were a teacher in school, what subject would you teach? I think if I did not do this route, and I had to be a teacher, I would have been a political science teacher in like high school or something, but in the collegiate or uh, post-secondary education, I would obviously pick something along the exercise science route, probably periodization or a practical coaching class in where we actually go over the difference between describing movements and explaining movements, which is something that I think a lot of coaches have a problem with. Yeah. Um, what's one book or podcast, the clinic that you've gone to, something along that lines that has played a role in equipping you, either personally or professionally? Um, what was it? I read a periodization book over the summer. I can't remember. Uh, it was written by Bompa and Hoff, maybe. Um, maybe like practical periodization or something like that. Obviously, there's a lot of different things out there that I could state, like children's book that had a lot of impact on me or whatever it may be. But that one right now is something that really pushed me outside of the CSCS textbook to really understand different training styles as well as different periodization models. And it gave me a lot of insight, especially from just either European backgrounds or whatnot to keep developing as a professional. Perfect. And last question. So if you could share a meal with one person living or deceased, who would it be? 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson easily. Nice. <laughs> on his cheat day, though, not on his regular. <laughs> That's like the full-on restaurant right there. Only <laughs> do that, hundred percent. Perfect. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great talking to you and having you on the show. You put a lot out there today, so I'm hoping that people can find something that will help equip them for their career. Um, how can people get a hold of you? How can people reach you? So I'm on Instagram at PeterKen1. It's the same for my Twitter. Facebook is PeterKen. My email is PeterKen1 at gmail.com. Find me on LinkedIn as well, where I've actually been really active the last few days um, and weeks, kind of trying to build my professional background. But those are the main ways you can get a hold of me. I'm not going to give you my personal cell phone, even though that sounds enjoyable. I don't need 100 calls coming in all the time. But um, if you do ever want to talk personally, that's fine. You can reach out through my email or something like that. And uh, I'd be happy to get on the phone with anyone. Perfect. Good luck this season. Much. I appreciate your time. It was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Equipped Performance Professionals. Make sure to visit www.ashleymuschiati.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at Coach underscore Ashley M for all podcast updates.